Welcome to the Ur Life Podcast, where we share current stories that connect us to the earliest tales of prehistory called Ur myths, stories buried in our subconscious. By telling our stories, we connect on a deeper level with ourselves and with others. Hi, my name is Dominic. I hope you can join me and maybe share your own story. So, uh, we have here Susan Allen, who is in Ubud, Bali, and she's somewhere halfway between Bali and the beach. Am I correct, Susan? <laughs> what do you mean, Bali and the beach? I'm in Bali. <laughs> I'm in Bali, and I'm halfway from my house, which is really near Ubud, and mm -hmm. the ocean, the closest ocean to my okay. house. Okay. And as I understand, it's a nice way for you to, to, to uh, retreat and relax and, and just take in... Um, yeah, yeah. To create space, I need some space some days where um, I can just hear my voice, my inner voice, my heart. Oh, good. So yeah. let, let's just before we start, give give us a bit of a context who you who you are, just a brief bio, an overview, if you like. There's lots you can say, I'm sure. I mean, I'll start where like for me, it's always been the journey of how to use the arts as a tool, and then that has taken different forms, right? So when I was in Toronto, a young woman in Toronto, I was working as a teacher of literacy to refugees at George Brown College. And um, I found that using the arts helped me break open the space so different types of communication could happen between myself as this young Canadian woman and people from all different countries who were coming to Canada as a result of being in a war, right? Um, as a result of that experience, I felt I'd never left Canada, that I needed to have an experience outside my own country. And so I found a program that allowed me to do, uh, which was at York University, a master's program allowed me to travel. And so I ended up in Indonesia and Thailand, actually, but um, the main part of the research was in Indonesia. And my goal was to find someone who was using art as a tool. I wanted to take it deeper because I only took it so far, right? With my own experimentation, I could only take it so far. And I really wanted to go deeper in that exploration. So I found somebody. Um, whose name is was Susiawan, it still is. And um, when I met this person, um, I actually had a chance to do some uh, language training. So I had six weeks of language training at Cornell University. So I had the foundations of Indonesia. Susiawan at the time couldn't speak English. So when I met him um, with my rudimentary Indonesian, uh, he understood what I was interested in and he invited me to take part in what he was doing. And so I engaged on a program he was involved in, and I got deeper and deeper into the community he was working with and his style, and I found my own strength. So Susiawan's strengths are really visual arts and music. And for me, my strengths are kinesthetic and voice. So we had a good match there as a team, um, and we got along super, like, really well. And um, we ended up falling in love and getting married. Um, over, you know, five years. And um, then over time, I had to come back to Canada because my mother was ill and I wanted to be in her life while she was at that stage of her life. So CON came back to Canada. with In Canada, we created um, through the SEA program, Social Entrepreneur, I forget the A part, um, which was a national program, I think, which supported young entrepreneurs to uh, make their idea come into a reality. We created an organization called Me and My Shadows, which is really that methodology, using art as a tool and taking it into many contexts. So we would take it into museums, we would take it into galleries, into parks, into schools, people's homes, and that gave us so much um, experience, right? We started working with many communities in Toronto, Vietnamese community, 
the um, Afghanistan community, um, the Chinese community, and we found that they were asking us to um, take on their folk tales, to learn their folk tales, the Persian community, and then recreate them through storytelling using shadow puppets. So we started doing that where we were um, telling um, traditional tales back to the communities where they came from, but through a different modality, which was shadow play, which came out of Indonesia. We could find shadow play elsewhere too, but they really liked our style. So Susiyon would, would make the puppets, I would learn the stories, and then we would perform and create experiences and workshops where people became active in the creative process as well. 12 years in Canada, and then um, my mother passed away and Susiyon's parents were still alive. So he basically said, let's go back to Indonesia so I can be closer to my parents. Uh, and then I ended up getting a position at a school in Bali. And then that position led to another position at Green School, which was just opening. And then we said, both of us worked at Green School for, at the beginnings uh, of the school for three years. And then Susie said, let's, uh, I want to open up my own place. And I said, okay, well, I will support you in that. And then we opened what we call Yellow Cocoa Creative Nest, which is what I'm telling you about is this sangar or studio that I'm running now. And, and the studio that you're running now, is that mainly uh, offering... A theater education, or is it more than that to to children and no, young adults? It's, no, it's it's not theater education. It's it's using art, all forms of art. So okay. it's voice exploration, movement exploration, visual arts exploration in all its dimensions. It can be okay. two dimension, three dimension, working with clay, working with um, terracotta, all different mediums. Um, there's no limit to the way we explore through the arts and what type of arts we use. Even gardening is an art form, and cooking. We're making essential oils and soaps, but in an artistic way, which we define as um, whenever we engage rasa, rasa is a Sanskrit word that means essence. Whenever you engage your essence in something, it becomes an art form. So anything can be an art form as long as you engage rasa. And so that's what we're doing. And then we're, we're, we're exploring. Why are we choosing different arts? What's the reason? Because each art form brings out a different understanding of oneself and what you're exploring. So it's like a prism, right? So if we are kind of blind to the immensity and the inf infinite possibilities of the world and the universe, then while we channel down one art form, we're getting one aspect of reality in the universe. Then we channel down another art form or we explore another art form. It's another reality so that more and more we get a more whole understanding or felt sense of the world or the universe and beyond. That's really what it is. It's we're trying to reach towards wholeness, knowing that we're never going to reach the full wholeness in our full awareness, that that makes it fun and exploratory. And I, I kind of love to sit in that space of there's so much that we don't know. So why don't we just let go of it and go into the exploration stage and I feel like it's a big remedy right now because what I notice in, in many people, not just adults, but a lot of children, is they feel like they have to know. So they're always saying, this is real, this is this, this is that. And it's sort of like, why aren't you sitting in, why aren't we sitting and exploring in what we don't know and kind of adding to our sense of what we can know and also know that there's so much that we can't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Why yeah. aren't we being more into the ambiguous but sitting together in it? and expressing from that place instead of almost this, what I notice with young people is this competitive nature of what knowledge is. Like, for example, a child might say, make a statement, a factual statement, and then 
another child say, oh, really? And then that child will say, you didn't know that. And as if it's a demeaning, like to demean that child because they didn't know something that's the so-called fact. So this is the thing that I'm trying to work with, with everyone, um, is to just break down what is knowledge and what is knowing, what are the different ways of knowing. And when we use our voice to know something, it's different from when we use our uh, when we use color, for example, when I'm exploring color to know something, what do I know through color? What do I know through voice? What do I? And it's not that we need to answer that question. It's that we go th through it and in it. If that makes any sense to you? Yeah, I, I mean, and and you have these programs. I, correct me if I'm wrong. Various programs that help children and youth to explore that. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and also adults, teachers, and non-teachers, okay. facilitators, and okay. people working creatively. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's 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 shift here to talk about a story. I mean, uh, so there's a, there's a <laughs> yeah. lot to unpack in terms of what you do, and it's quite fascinating that you're in Bali um, doing this. And and you know, people listening and should know that you started this from zero, you and and Susie from scratch, and you built this. Uh, quite frankly, a school that has a strong name now. Like, how long has this how Yellow Cocoa been around? Um, I would say, well, it, it started in 2011, and now it's 2020. So that's... How that's 13 years. Yeah. So, but I would say it's not that it's, like, that's Yellow Cocoa, but the process started when I work, we started working with the refugees. That's when the process started. Yeah. When, when my interest in the, I guess the interest in the arts was with my family, particularly my mother, when she would take me to Harborfront in Toronto and let me do the arts there and take me to the ice capades. I think, you know, in our families, we're, they, our parents seed things too, right? So if you really want to pull it back, you can actually look at how did your family nurture um, certain aspects of yourself where, where I think I was, those seeds were nurtured in me as a child. And, none, and I was never judged, actually, on any of my artistic endeavors as a child. So I never had that. A lot of people have that trauma where they were judged when they drew a picture. Or they were judged when they tried to dance. Yeah. For some reason, I never was. And I was always given tools. Like my mom would give me journals and say, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got a journal. It's an empty book to write in. You know, she would give me art supplies. And she never judged me, ever. So I feel like those were the seeds. Yeah, absolutely, because you're right. There's so, yeah. Many, so yeah. many people are. So take us through this story of yours. Um, yeah, and, okay. And <laughs> have in, in mind to share. Okay. So the story is about, um, as all of us, we, we come into areas of our life where we're stuck or where we want to grow and then we get scared. And so this is an example of one story that I experienced, one reality I experienced. I was working at a full-time with many different positions at a certain community center in Toronto. And I really wanted to grow. I wanted to learn something new, but I was so busy working. So I started looking into this magazine of um, holistic programs through Kapal in Lenox, Massachusetts. And I came across, um, they do this um, yoga teacher training where they had a scholarship because I didn't have a lot of money saved. So I was like, okay, I'll apply for this scholarship for Kripalu Yoga because I was taking Kripalu Yoga classes and I loved it. So then basically I wrote the application and I got the full scholarship, which was worth about 5,000 US dollars. And um, I approached the community center and they said, no, we can't, um, we can't have you leave you have too many positions here um we can't you can't leave for one month it was a one month thing and what and was, was sorry like, okay was, well what, what were you doing in the community center everything i was the volunteer coordinator the the um, children's program coordinator i was the toy library coordinator and the garden coordinator i took all the different positions there 
Yeah. And the only thing probably that I wasn't was doing the accounting or something, you know? And I definitely wasn't the manager. Yeah. So then um, basically uh, I realized, okay, well, they said no. And I, and I said to my husband, Susie Owen, I said, what should I do? Should I quit the job? And he's like, you got to decide. And then <clears throat> I tried to think and feel, and I was too afraid to quit. So I didn't, and I let it go. I let the scholarship go. And then while I was sitting at my desk at the community center, I realized I made a mistake. I felt the mistake that I'd made. And then I go, okay, well, that's how the world works. When you make the wrong mistake, you feel it. So then I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I was like, okay, I'm going to keep looking at the magazine of Kripalu and see is there another program I can take that's different, that doesn't ask me to leave. And I found a dance program called Dance Kinetics that was offered in three uh, sections at different times of the year. So it was 10 days, 10 days, 10 days. So you had to you know, go back and forth. But it was the, I would only have to leave for 10 days. So then I had to pay full price because there was no scholarship. And then I figured, okay, well, maybe I'll use all my savings and, and do it. So I applied, I got accepted, and then I asked my community center that, yes, if you can find a replacement. And then I luckily found a replacement for all my programs, different people, and um, I was able to go, right? So here it was, already paid out of all my savings, getting ready to go, preparing myself mentally that I would leave. And I got this voice that was really loud saying, you made a mistake, don't leave. Don't leave the job. Don't leave Toronto. Don't go to the U.S. Don't go to the Coppola Center. And I was like, why is this voice so loud? Like, is it my intuition? It felt like my intuition. And then I got scared. And so I called a girlfriend, and she had been there to Coppola. And this voice was with me every day, and it was trying to get me to, to, to pull out right? and change my direction and stay where I was. And um, my girlfriend, I called her up, and I told her what was going on. And she started yelling at me, and she's like, don't you realize Kripalu's in the mountains called the Berkshires? The water running through those mountains is clean. You can drink it. And you're in a community of people who are looking towards well-being. It's like the best place ever for you to go. You did not make the wrong decision. So that really helped me because it became a counter voice inside my head. And the other voice was still there. So that voice would come up. Her voice would show up. And so I was in this state of not knowing what was real, but I was just going through the motions of preparing to go. Finally, the day came where I had to get to the airport. The voice is even louder now. Get to the airport, say goodbye to my husband. I'm in line to go through customs. The voice is screaming, and I usually hate the custom. The guy was really friendly and let me go through, and the voice is still screaming, and it's screaming its head off, and I'm like, is my plane going to crash? Like, Is this like a voice warning me that I made the wrong choice because the plane will crash? So I was really scared, and then... I got to the uh, waiting area, I got in line to get on the airplane, the voice is really loud, still screaming, my heart is racing, and I, I just am so confused, but I just kept going through the motions of, regardless of what my inner terrain was telling me, regardless of what the weather inside was telling me, and so I, so I did, kept going, got my seat on the airplane, screaming loud, get off now, now's your chance, you can get off, the door closes on the airplane, the voice is still screaming. The plane takes off and the voice disappears forever. I'm in the plane as it's rising and I'm like, okay, what was that? Where's that voice now? Why is it gone? And I end up arriving to Kapalo and the experience I have is like the most life-changing experience I've ever had. 
it changes, it actually integrates, that experience integrates for me the key way which I orient myself in the world, which is through the body kinesthetically. And through that, through that method, that dance method, I'm able to integrate all things that I do so that I see a golden thread with everything I do and the, and the integration point is the, is the body. And only through that method, which, which, in, which kind of embraces the emotions, it embraces trauma as you're going through the dance process, it embraces the environment, the natural environment. It's quite different from many dance programs. It's coming out of somatic, somatic healing therapy. So I was like, okay, well, that wasn't my intuition then. That was something else. And so in a way, the lesson I got was the voices in our inside of us might not be our intuition and they might show up differently. Like I might say, oh, if it's screaming, it's not your intuition. Well, maybe it is, right? Like everyone's different. But for me, somehow I just kept going. And I think that that's kind of a good lesson. Like if you just keep going with something, um, something else is going to be revealed to you. Like anyway, like for example, I kept going with the yoga thing where I approached my organization. They said no, and I, and I said okay, I decline the, the scholarship. That means I chose the decision, and then I lived through it. Living through it showed me I made the wrong decision because when I was at my desk, I got this feeling of that was wrong. So the reality showed up regardless of what I did. You know what I mean? So as I went through this process of, like, let's say I listened to the voice and didn't go. I'm not sure what would have happened. Maybe there would have been a justification in my mind. You're lucky, you know, you could have gotten an air crash or whatever. I'm not sure. I mean, that's the mystery of life, you know. I, I don't think there's one path we, we, we have to take. But anyway, that's the one story I feel is a good story to share because those of us who get these feelings of dread around things, sometimes it's because a huge change is going to happen, like something that you can't even imagine will change in your life. That changed my life completely. And, and it changed your life because because you can integrate this this dance kinesthetics now in ways that you, you didn't imagine before. Is that what changed? No, no. It was like the modality. Be like I'd never met a modality like that before. Before which accepted my emotions, accepted um, when you have an experience of trauma or whatever. It actually embraced it. Like whereas if you do other things like um, you might study dance, like belly dancing or jazz dance or things like that, they're not going into that realm, right? They're more learning technique. And um, sometimes yoga is like that too, where it's just the technique and there's no space for when there's a huge thing that wants to, like a huge waterfall of something that wants to emerge, there's no space for it to actually emerge. With the dance kinetics, because it's based in somatic healing and the teacher who taught it, who, who created it, it came out of somatic healing. Um, and he was just doing this celebratory type movement thing, which was sort of freeing your body to use movement and because i'm kinesthetic movement is my language so it was like it was in my language to not grasp onto technique to allow for pain to emerge to contradiction to emerge but keep flowing through it with movement that taught me that all things are like that that we can go through visual arts that way when you're you know even Susan will say the same thing in his visual arts approach where the arts are difficult because they open us to our feelings. And that's why so many people are traumatized around these arts experience. And even those of us who are in the arts, we have these experiences. Like I go through my phases in my life where I was part of a community here in Bali and, and then I didn't like what was happening. And so I cut myself off from all dance here, collective dance anyway. And I was like, you know, that was painful for me to cut myself off. And then I was cut off for a number of years. And I, so we, we go through these things, right, where it's as if 
we get a disappointment, right? The arts are like these doorways to our feelings. And if we get disappointed, we don't want to go there again, or we're afraid because of the pain. And I feel like the arts are the windows, if we look at them in such a light way, not technique-based. Not to say technique's not important, you can go that route. But to the other area of the spaciousness around the arts will assist a person in technique as well. Because you're going to face things as you emerge with your heart and your feelings. They're going to emerge, right? If you're honest. And then the healing is like a balm, right? Like it's, and I don't have all the answers. Like I said, like I even see myself closing off to things and I'm healing. I see where I'm contracted and I have so much healing to do still. But if I compare to before I took the dance kinetics to now, like if I'd never gotten the dance kinetics, maybe I never would have entered deeply into the arts as a way of knowing the way I do now, yeah. or even into this, this unknown space with the arts where people are like, what is it you're actually talking about? And it's like, you know, it's, I'm trying to support the journey, but people have to feel it, you know, I'm yeah. guiding them, but on some level they have to go with it. And that's my kind of challenge too, right? So, so I mean, that story that you said, because it's, because it's true. How do you, how do we decipher? How do we look at um, deciding whether it's the intuition talking or is just our voice yelling at us, this this yeah. uh, incessant voice. Um, uh, because at one end, you know, you, you you said you felt initially that the first choice was right, going to Kripali, and then you couldn't go, and then you decided yeah. to go, and then all of a sudden this voice was uh, knocking on your on your door, not to go, not to go, not to go. So how do you think we, yeah. we we can decipher from our intuition? Like how, how does how do I know this is really my intuition talking to me? You know what? Listen, like this this thing about here, like there's a there's a movie which I think is very valuable. I can't remember the name right now, but it's all about anorexia. So anorexia is an example of an illness where a vo inner voice is telling you that you're fat. Uh -huh. Okay, and it's a serious illness. People die. Um, and uh, this voice is, gets believed. It's so strong, it drives the life of the person. And I feel like many things happen with these voices that people follow, not just anorexia. But in this movie, it shows the, the idea of the community is a really good thing because without my friend having gone there mm -hmm. to counter that voice in my head, probably I wouldn't have gone. Mm -hmm. I trusted her more. I trusted her I would say a little bit more than the screaming voice in my head. Why? She is a person I love. She is a person I respect. So when she says it, I have a place to rest. In that movie about anorexia, it's like that. The therapist creates a community. And finally, the voice of the therapist becomes a place where the person can trust. Eventually, it's a place where they doubt the strongest voice in themselves, which is actually dying, creating death for them. That's what it is, right? So I feel like these voices, and it's not just one. Like, it's not just like, oh, yeah, you know, the intuition is the tiny voice. No, the, it could be that the tiniest voice in your heart you can hardly heal isn't the one. I'm just saying these voices are there, but we need others to help us, people we trust. What, what I mean, I don't know how we can navigate without friends. Okay, I don't know well, how a person the, can navigate. Okay, but here's the thing, Susan, but how, how what if other, like you said, if you didn't have that friend, if you, she didn't, say to you at that moment probably wouldn't have gone you wouldn't have gone and uh, 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 so you're you're for you and i'm assuming and maybe through your life experience you, you, your critical decisions were 
in in talking to your friends, talking through your friends to see what next decisions you need to make or, or someone close to you? Yeah, because I felt like like I think that each of us is different, right? Yeah. Maybe maybe I'm that kind of person that I do need. I do need that community. I need a mirror that shows me, hey, you know what? You're actually thinking incorrectly right now. Like sometimes I can be so I can be so um, 100% sure, right? But actually I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So it's really good to have a bit of humility. And that's when you, when you trust someone so much that you're, okay, maybe I'm too strong on this. Like it's like, you know, you're kind of saying, hey, who is the I? The I are these these voices in us that guide us, but we're larger than that. We're 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 a soul, right? And sometimes these screaming voices is fear, is fear, yeah. right? Fear of change. Maybe I was afraid of this change. The status quo would change, and it did. I ended up leaving the commu- over time, leaving the community center and moving on, right? And and growing and in different ways, right? So my life wasn't about maintaining my jobs at that community center. It was about growing like all of us. Isn't that why we're on the planet? It's to grow and open more and um, maybe understand where we're incorrect or where we see the world. Like I talked about the prism. Maybe we're only seeing one aspect of a of a larger whole and we need others to help us see the other aspects of it. Because how can one perception be the the perception i don't think i don't think it can right so there's a part of humility where you kind of have to let go of your stronghold and often when there is a stronghold it's based on fear and and do you so i, I how do you I, I develop that trust that you say okay i'm gonna listen to this person and and trust what they say is something that i need to act on because you know you use the example of your friend there and, and you said you've had other moments in your life because that seems to me uh, I think I think it's based on experience, and if you work, if you if you if you actually work across cultures, right, which is pretty easy nowadays, um, you know, someone living in another community could actually have another culture than a different culture from you. Like, I feel like when you're working across cultures, often your assumptions are incorrect about others, which I found coming to Indonesia and seeing certain behavior, and then assume, and I realized, it, like, so it's like a humility. Cultures that are different, and then you you use your culture to judge them. Um, it's not correct. You can't use your culture to judge another culture. You you actually have to understand how the culture is operating, and then you have to realize that you might never really understand it. Like, for example, I've been married for many years to my husband, and I even still now realize, and probably anyone who's married might say, they can never fully understand the other. So I realize like his thinking, his way of being in the world is based on a very collective viewpoint and, uh, you know, seated in a deep Javanese uh, ancient way of being, and and like I'm I'm this young Torontonian woman grew, who grew up in the 70s and 80s, and um, you know in a city urban environment, and so even though him and I have similar goals in in education and in exploration and art, we are so different, right? So there's a humility when you allow yourself to realize you're wrong, or that hey, I probably don't know, so I'm gonna actually situate myself in a circle of unknown to allow something to emerge that I might know, that I might come to know, but never fully know. And that's, I think, what I'm trying to get at is we can never fully know. So why are we standing so powerfully in, I know this, this is a fact, blah, blah, blah. Why are we all like that? It's insecurity. 
It's insecurity of and, and breaking through. We're, that. we're trying to control things. You know, we're trying to control things because we're afraid. And so, into your mind to break through that, because so you know we're in control. So how do we break through that control? I, I think you use the example of the arts as one way, and another way was just thinking about trusting others, correct? Yeah, and and knowing that we're all different. Like if we look across cultures, but look across genders, but even just individuals are so different because we grew up in different families, and um. So to actually create that space of unknowing, and when you see yourself judging, to hold it and go, wait a second, what's this about? Why is this judgment so strong? And then actually to move towards something that we might reject, to go, okay, well, why is my rejection so strong about this? Maybe we could venture forward and, and see what's it touching in me that's not comfortable. So what, so I, I'm just curious, what's since you moved to, to Bali there um, and created uh, along with Susi, Yellow cocoa, which I think is for those people who are listening, yeah, you should take a look at um, this place that that Susan and, and Susie have created. Um, it's quite quite a remarkable space. Have things changed in you since you moved there to now? I mean, you you moved there in when two thousand? Oh uh, no, I moved to. You mean to Bali? Yeah, I moved to Bali in two thousand and seven. Ah, okay. the year my mother died. Okay. And then we moved because Susie wanted to be close to his parents, and I got the job, right? So it was one year working at Polangi School, and then I got invited to come into the opening uh, year of Green School. Okay. And then I stayed at Green School for three years. And then after the three years, my husband, Susie, wanted to make this space, which ended up being called Yellow Cocoa Creative Net. And, and has anything changed for me? Oh, my gosh. Everything has, like, so many things have changed, even though my focus has always been this thing about the arts as a tool. It's always been that with storytelling, dance, and all the things like that, this exploration and opening towards what's possible, um, where do we connect, where do we meet, that's all the same. Um, but what have I learned? Wow, I could tell you so many stories about what I learned. I went against what I thought, you know, and that's a whole other thing, where I, I actually did things where I was like, don't do this, and then my husband's like, do it, give it a try, and then I did, and then how much I grew, you know, which is a whole other story, but like many things like that, where I was like, no, I would never do this. And then he's like, give it a try. And then I trust him. So then I gave it a try and I was like, wow. And then I look back on it and I go, look how much I grew because I did that. And there's still parts of me that want to go back to the way things were, my comfort zone. But I think that all of us have that where we think the past is where we're comfortable. Like, so, cause it's something that we know. So we're like, oh, I wish I was back to where I was. Like sometimes when I'm having a hard time here, I'll go, I wish I was back in Toronto, back to the way things were. And I'm like, but it, they never were sta static and they never were stagnant. So why are you saying that? Like, like it's, so it's like this false security. Mm. It's like, if I did go, for example, to Toronto and did carry that out, all my friends have already like moved on and done things and whatever, right? Moved or, but they've changed too. So change is constant. So there's a part of our mind that doesn't want change. And then it, it romanticizes the static, and therefore the static becomes this home base that we romanticize, which isn't even true. Yeah. And because our some aspect of ourselves doesn't want to realize that everything's changing, it's like, no, this is not changing, right? This is not changing. That's why I feel. That's why I have this this idea that these places that are, um, you know, these places that are like brands and branches, like things like second cup in toronto or like here we have different places where you have the same branch everywhere i won't mention them but like these branches it gives you this feeling of things don't change because you know if you're going to go to second cup in toronto like the coffee's like this the, the atmosphere is like this or 
whatever, or people might go to Tim Hortons, that the, the atmosphere or whatever is the same, and then they get that comfort. So I feel like there's part of humanity that looks for that comfort, you know? And then it creates a romanticism around it. It's this false sense of stability. And yet, and yet you, but don't you, don't you, in your own words, I think remember one saying that you kind of liked the culture that you're exploring now in Indonesia, which has a lot of roots um, and richness to it. I mean, isn't there some stability yeah. there? Yeah. I mean, I mean, when you go deep into the ancient, into the ancient roots, like in Toronto, I was always very uh, connected to the land in my body-based work. So when you connect to the land, in a way you connect to the history of the land. And then I did some work around the indigenous history of the land and, and I created certain educational programs, but also went to educational programs and I feel like once you go to the ancient roots of a place, you start to see the connection of going to the roots here, going to site, certain sites, um, and going into the, the stories around the sites and that the basic cosmology of the belief system of the Hindu Buddhists here. Um, but Hindu Buddhists aren't the only um, ancient cultures that are here. There are also others too. There's a Chinese tradition here, and there's, a, there's, an, there's an age-old Islamic tradition here as part of Bali as well. It's been around, I think, since the 10th or 11th century. So when we go into these old stories and look at the history, I feel like that's good. good point, Dominic. It's as if we get more um, acquainted with the earth as our home, as a humanity, and that like it does settle me to go deep into those roots and to know those stories and to share those stories. And then when I do share the stories, people are always really appreciative. Like we just did a story... Um, for the Lunar New Year, the Chinese New Year. I was talking about the roots of the Chinese in Bali that I've done research on and the, and the, sto the story I created touched into the, those roots. People really were very thankful. At, like a lot of the parents approached me and they were so thankful that I had shared. And they just said, this is something I really value. I'm so happy you shared this. And please let me know the next time you do something like this. It, it was very wholesome like because it was a family activity also. But the history part, I think, reached the adults you know, in places because a lot of the adults aren't from Bali that came to the event and they're, you know, they might stay here, they might not. But I was sharing with them what you were t saying, this sense of where are the roots? That gives us all a sense of stability. It doesn't have to be my roots. You know what I mean? Like we don't need to have the ownership over what the roots are. It's just that where are the roots of the land? Like how have humans been 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 relating to the land here over centuries it's a good thing to actually dig up because those energies all around us right we're not just in this modern tip of the iceberg fly-by-night type things that are part of the modern global culture but like let's look into humanity's deep relationship to land if anywhere we are and I, I feel like we will find that stability okay so and there we go so we've got this contradiction we've got stability on the one hand um that's important but also Things change, evolve, right? As you mentioned before, that because uh, you, 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 you talked a bit about how we can't rom romanticize the past. Um, yeah, but yet there's and but going into those. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, no, and, and I was going to, and yet there's this paradox. You, you know, you can't romanticize it. Yet there's something almost primal that connects us to the roots of the land and the history of generations. That's right. And generations. I like that you say that. Yeah, because I feel like that's through the body and we're not talking through, like my interest in those stories comes from my body. Mm. Like it's not my intellect. And what yeah. does that mean comes from my body? It's like a yearning, right? Like 
you know, there's this, there's a there's a story about like wherever you are, you're gonna dream the history of the land. Like whether you're aware of the dream or not, the land's gonna speak to you in many ways. And I feel like that's true when one is able to connect to one's body in a deep way. So there's that kinesthetic thing again, is that when we connect to the body, because the body is the five elements, right? The body are the elements of the earth. So how has the earth, how is the earth where we live? How are the rivers where we live right now? Like if you're in Toronto right now, I'm here in Bali. Mm-hmm. What are the rivers? How are the, how's the sky? How are the clouds? Like those are, that is our body. That's how we, we're on a continuum of relationship to these things. When, I, when I'm here, I eat the food that's grown here. That's changing the cells in my body to bring me here, connecting here. You know, those are all the ways in which our deep body connection to land exists. So it's interesting how our awareness can shine light on these deeper primal connections. And, and I've, there's a whole other stories I could share with you about what's emerged in this process, like where there's this, communi- there's this, there's this confusion sometimes of where do I belong, you know? I went to a priest in um, this little tiny temple that, like, that he dreamt about. This priest dreamt it was there. And he was looking for it for how many years in his life. And he came across an area and he knew he went into that area, like a forested area, and he found the beginnings of the temple, which he ended up clearing. It's an ancient temple that he found and he knew it was there. It was calling him. Anyway, this priest now is like the priest of that temple here in Bali. And um, I went to visit him and he has, at that site, he found this tiny, 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 like the size of your thumb, sword a little sword and he uses that sword to touch you and then like he'll know things about you by touching you with that sword and um so we were talking to him for healing and stuff and um my the and the thing is is when you go to someone that you truly believe might help you 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 really you 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 might be surprised at the questions you ask that person because you might go intentionally with a certain question but when you're actually in relation to that person you're going to be surprised at the question you ask what happened was the question I ended up asking was, where do I belong? And, I, and I, like, it was very emotional to me because it was like me trying to go back to Canada, um, be in where I was born and this belief that that's where I'm supposed to be. I'm in almost like a superstition, you know, a childhood superstition that if I stay here too long, it's wrong or, you know, something like that. Yeah. And then I explained that to him. I said, and then I said, where do I belong? And he, go, he goes, why are you asking that question? And then... When he said that, I understood what he meant, that I was, the question of where do I belong was not embedded in my body. It was an intellectual thing. Once I was embedded in my body, I was in both worlds. I was in the world of my connection to the earth in Toronto when I connected to the earth here. You see what I'm saying? They're not separate. Yeah. 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 When you go deep, when you go. Yeah. Yeah. You start realizing how all these places are your home. And you can't disconnect. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even though the mind wants to, because like part of me wants to believe that I'm supposed to be in Toronto, because that's where I'm supposed to be. Like, and so that's kind of my inner journey that I'm working on. Like, why is there a part of me that is so superstitiously feeling that way? And um, very emotional too, right? And then you think about people like refugees who are uprooted and don't really have much choice. What you know? How are they experiencing that? And so it's such an interesting you know, conversation. I th- yeah. 
And I'm certain I'm certain we can have more interesting conversations. Hopefully, we can save it for the future. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, uh, Susan, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you, having you. Um, and I'm certain there's more. And for those of you listening, there's more um, interesting stories that I think we should do in the future. Because I do you think you have them. Um, and I'd love to hear more about them. And I'm sure our listener would too. So with that in mind, um, I want to thank you for being part of this. Okay. Thank you so much. This has been great. Yes. Okay. Have a great time. And by the way, you know, you're a nice, uh, nice warm weather where it was pretty cold here in Toronto, just so you know, there's nothing we can eat from the (laughs) land right now. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Enjoy. Enjoy your time. All right. Thank you, Dominic. I wanted to offer some reflections and thoughts with my conversation uh, with Susan Allen. And it was interesting how I noticed a theme emerging, a theme about the kind of stories and anecdotes she shared and just generally her life trajectory. And in the first instance, we, we talked about her story on the intuition that she had, a strong intuition that she needed to take this course in Kripali and how she said no and then realized her body told her she made a mistake. And given the incessant voice um, after she made a decision to go uh, to take a course, um, that this incessant voice wasn't really her body talking. It was this these voices that we all get, you know, these these lizard voices, as as it were, that are really not ours, ours, and and they're kind of just pecking at us. And how it went away for her. It was also interesting how the course that she wanted to take was so connected to the body that it changed her life. This dance kinetics and the somatic experience that you get from using that and how it's made a huge difference in her life. Again, talking about the body. And then when I asked her about change, have things changed since she moved to Bali? And and she said also a lot has changed in her life and how she's grown just by staying open. And we ended up talking about the land and how important that was for her. And for her perspective, it was really her body connecting to the land, to the earth, as it were, and telling stories um, that were connected to that place of the earth in that location. And I often thought, you know, there's truth to, to having this idea that the body wisdom is actually stronger than the mind wisdom the why, or, or the intellect. And how, uh, you know, there's a book that says the body keeps score or, or you know, our, our body houses all of these experiences that we've had in our life and uh, stores us in, in the subconscious mind and, and, and actually gives us warning signs. And I just thought that was so true for, for Susan. So I'd leave you with these thoughts. How much do you use the land, the body to connect with your own stories. I know here in Toronto, I, I'm not that conscious of using many stories from the land here in Toronto, a bit more from my roots in Croatia on an island there where my parents are from, probably because it's much more in your face, the land, than it is in a big city like Toronto. But it's something that I think can help us in telling our own stories, our own deeply rooted stories. So I'll leave you with those words. And 
Thanks for joining. Please stay connected to your mystery and we'll see you next time again. Thank you. Bye-bye.